Let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 40. Quick review. Jeremiah has called from the womb, early age, been ministering for 30 years, the same message, he has not compromised, and that is because Israel as a people have worshipped other gods. Uh, and what's interesting tonight, it's going to be one of the first times we read about the Queen of Heaven being an object of worship, and now it is a foregone conclusion that everything that Jeremiah has been prophesying has come to pass. The false prophets have been proven just that. Uh, Their message was, don't worry about a thing. You're not going to go into captivity. As we pick up in chapter 40, we find uh, in these three chapters that Jeremiah is speaking to those who were left in the land uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, They were very poor. They were the blind. They were the crippled. Um, and they're there just to maintain, and he has this message to, in chapter 40, what we'd call the remnant. So what we're going to go through tonight is ministering to them. Then chapters 41 and 42, we find sort of a coup. Let me not get too far ahead of myself tonight. Chapter 40, verse 1. Now the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left him uh, go from Ramah when he had taken him bound in chains among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and, and Judah, who were carried away captive to Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place. Now the Lord has brought it and has done just as he has said, because your people have sinned against the Lord, have not obeyed his voice, therefore this thing has come upon you. And now look, I free you this day from the chains that were on your hand, and if it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, then come, and I'll look after you. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, then stay here. See all the land is before you, wherever it seems good and convenient to you to go your way. Now, this is in stark contrast. Um, Because of his message, he was thrown in the prison, into the dungeon, into the miry clay. And now that the judgment has come, the one speaking on behalf of Nebuchadnezzar, this Nebuchadnezzar, is pretty much, um, you know, in these first 12 chapters, 12 verses, is telling Jeremiah, you're a free man. If you want to come back to Babylon... Come on along. If you want to go wherever you want to go, you're free. Uh, Whatever's convenient for you, then go there. Now, verse 5, while Jeremiah had not yet gone back, Nebuchadnezzar said, well, go back to um, Gedaliah, um, whom the king of Babylon had made governor. Now, when, before Nebuchadnezzar left, he takes this guy whose name is Gedaliah, and he sets him up sort of as a governor, overseer, of the people that are going to remain back in the land. And he encourages them to go and dwell uh, with him among the people, or go wherever seems convenient for you to go. So the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift. I imagine that's probably a sum of money. Um, and he let him go. 
And then Jeremiah, he did go to Gedaliah, and he dwelt with him among the people who were left in the land. So all of a sudden, a radical change for Jeremiah. Uh, he's free, evidently has some spending money, has some food. And when all the captains of the armies who were left in the fields and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, governor of the land, and had committed to him men, women, children, and the poorest of the land who had been carried away captive, who had not been carried away captive to Babylon. And then they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Now, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, uh, Johanan, and Johanan, the son of Kareth and Sariah, the son of Tanhamath, the son of Ephi, and the rest of these guys, uh, and the men, and Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, the son of Saphan, he took an oath before them, and the men saying, do not be afraid to serve the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land. Serve the king of Babylon, and it'll be well with you. As for me, I will indeed dwell at Mizpah. I will serve the Chaldeans who come to us. But you gather wine, summer fruit, oil, put them in your vessels, and dwell in your cities like that you have taken, and likewise, when all the Jews who were in Moab among the Ammonites in Edom and who were in other countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah and that they had set over them Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, then all the Jews returned out of all the places where they had been driven and they came to the land of Judah and Gedaliah at Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruit in abundance. All right, here's the scene. Um, Babylon has conquered Jerusalem. Many have been taken back to captivity. They, they leave the poor behind, but now the word has gone out that the king of Babylon himself, Nebuchadnezzar, has established sort of a, his own governor named Gedaliah. And the Jews that fled Jerusalem Get the word, and now we have, I kind of makes me think of David. And it says, all those who were poor and in debt and were destitute, when David was on the run, they gathered themselves unto David. It was about 400 of them. And sort of in the same way, they see this guy named Gedaliah. He's sort of a overseer of uh, all these misfits or the poor, and uh, they're returning now, and they're gathering their, it says their wine and their summer fruit in abundance. All right, it changes a little bit from 13 to the rest of this chapter. This uh, Ishmael is going to plan uh, his attack to actually kill Gedaliah, but Gedaliah is not too concerned about it. He doesn't get too shook up. Let's pick it up in verse 13. So Johanan, the son of uh, Kerah, and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, and he said to him, Do you certainly know that Balas, the king of the Ammonites, 
has sent Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, to kill you, to murder you. But Gedaliah didn't believe him. Then Johanan, the son of Kariah, uh, spoke secretly to Gedaliah in Mespa, saying, let me go, please, and I'll kill this guy, this, Ish, this Ishmael. And no one, no one will even know it. Why should he murder you? So that all the Jews that have been scattered and, and brought back in the remnant, that they would perish. It's common sense. Let me take this guy out. He's coming here to kill you. But Gedaliah said to him, you will surely not do this thing, for you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. So this is a real threat. But for whatever security that this guy Gedaliah thought he had, he should have listened. He should have listened up, because these chapters are continuing flowing thought, and we find out in, in the first three verses of chapter forty-one, we have this bloody record of the slaying of Gedaliah uh, with the Chaldeans and the Jews who were with him. Uh, then Ishmael captures the people of the city of Mishpah, intending to t- take them back to the land of the Ammonites. So the king of the Ammonites wasn't too pleased that the people that were with him are now going back to Judah. So it's sort of a sting, sort of an assassination set up attempt here. Uh, they eventually are going to over, uh, overtaken by Johanan. And then this Johanan, Hanan, fearing the reprisal of the king of Babylon because his governor Gedaliah has been killed, he begins to make this plan to escape to Egypt. So this is a little overview of what we're going to get into in this chapter. So it came to pass, verse 1 of chapter 41, came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishamiah, of the royal family, of the officers of the king, came with ten men to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, at Mizpah. And there they ate bread together at Mizpah. And then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and ten men who were with him arose, and they struck Gedaliah with the sword and killed him whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. So this um, puppet ruler that had been put in power by none other than Nebuchadnezzar, he's taken out. Now, Ishmael, who struck down all the Jews who were with him, that is, with Gedaliah at Mizpah, in other words, it just wasn't the governor that died, but everybody that was with him, and all the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. And it happened on the second day after he had killed Gedaliah, when as yet no one knew it, that certain men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria, 80 men, with their beards shaved and their clothes torn, having cut themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. And now Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went along. And it happened as he met them 
that he said to them, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim. And so it was when they came into the midst of the city that Ishmael killed them. So these guys are walking right into a trap. And um, they don't know that they're walking into this trap. He kills them in the midst of the city and casts them into the midst of a pit and he and the men who were with him. But there were 10 men who were found among them who were quick thinkers on their feet and they said to Ishmael, please don't kill us for we have treasures. We have wheat, we have barley, we have oil, we have honey in the field. So he desisted and he did not kill them among their brethren. Now, the pit into which Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men who he had slain because of Gedaliah was the same one as Asa the king had made for fear of Basha the king of Israel. And Ishmael the son of Nethaniah uh, filled it with the slain. And then Ishmael carried away captive all the rest of the people who were in Mishpah the king's daughter, all the people who remained in Mishpah, whom Nebuzaradan, now Nebuzaradan again would have been the guy in command right under Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Now Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, and Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and departed to go to the Ammonites. But when Johanan and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard of the evil that Ishmael had done by taking the life of Gedaliah, they took all the men and went to fight with Ishmael. I wish they wouldn't keep putting his father's name in there again and again and again. (laughs) And they found him by the great pool that is in Gibeon. So they catch up to him. And so it was, when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Karai, and all the captains of the forces who were with him, that they were glad. And they and all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive from Mishpah turned around, came back, and went to Johanan, the son of Kariah. But Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah escaped from Johanan with eight men and he went back to the Amorites. So this guy, Ishmael, he gets off by the skin of his teeth and he makes it back to the Ammonites. Now this is sort of um, um, summing up in uh, this first chapter here in 41, um, 16 through 18, It says, then Johanan and all the captains of the forces that were with them took from Mispah all the rest of the people who had been recovered from Ishmael after he had murdered Gedaliah, the mighty men of war and the women and the children and the eunuchs whom he had brought back from Gibeon. And they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is near Bethlehem. Now this is important, as they went on their way to Egypt. 
So if you're, if you're following all this, um, the king of Babylon establishes Gedaliah. He's killed. And, but there's this remnant that are making it back now. There's a fear that because Gedaliah is dead, Nebuchadnezzar, top dog, was the one who put him in charge. They don't know what to do. They're thinking right now, do we go back to Judah? Or do we go, they're on their way right now to going back to Egypt. Because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them because Ishmael, the son of Nethaliah, had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. All right, I just want to make sure you're tracking on this. They're torn. Um, the king is dead. And um, they don't know what's going to happen. As we get into um, 42, they actually are going to come and ask Jeremiah what to do. So as we look at verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4, um, it's hard to put ourselves in a situation. Um, they have not been back to Egypt. If I would title this message tonight, I'd, I'd say, so you want to go back to Egypt? And that's where you were delivered from. And they don't know what to do. So out of desperation, they're actually going to humble themselves and they're going to say, Jeremiah, would you seek the Lord for us and tell us what we're supposed to do? So in verses one through six, here's their dilemma. Then all the captains of the forces, Johanan, and um, from the least to the greatest came near. And they said to Jeremiah the prophet, please let our petition be acceptable to you. Pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God would show us the way which we should walk and the thing in which we should do. And Jeremiah says to them, I have heard, indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it will be that whatever the Lord answers you, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to hold anything back. Then they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be true and faithful witness between us if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God uh, sends us by you, whether it is pleasing or displeasing. In other words, whether we like it or whether we don't like it. If it's the word of the Lord, we're just going to do it. And we will obey the voice of the Lord your God to whom we sent you, that it will be, may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. I want to get a little sidetracked here and apply, apply a lot of this to just the church at large today. When they come to Jeremiah, they're asking um, just whatever. Whatever God says, that's what we're going to do. We promise. And McGee, I was looking at him today and his thoughts on this. And he equates this to his time. Now, Jay Vernon's been with the Lord for a good 20 years now, at least. Um, and his comments are pertinent and relevant to the times that we live today. And I like what he has to say, so I, I printed it out. 
And he says, any person who is attempting to speak for God, and he says, no matter whether he's um, in the pulpit, whether he's on the radio, or he has some soapbox, in other words, he has an audience where he has influence, and there are many parachurch ministries, whether they be in the radio, whether they be in the apologetic ministry, um, who are out there, and they're speaking on their beliefs. And whenever you put yourself in that position, um, um, you're taking on a lot of responsibility. I take this very seriously because I believe that a Bible study can change a person's life forever. Things that are said behind this pulpit, and because I'm reading from this book, those of you who fear the Lord and uh, love the Lord, you really just want to know what the Lord has to say and not what Dwight has to say. Good place for an amen? Who cares about what I have to say or think? Be a Berean, check it out yourself. But I like the insight that he had even 20 years ago before Jay Vernon went to be with the Lord. What a way to go. He was kneeling down by his bed praying, and he never got up. (laughs) What a way to go home. And he goes on to say, if you have that position, uh, he says, all attempts to be clever and subtle, he should give forth the word of God with no attempt of being sophisticated or saying smooth words to please the people. When the pulpit majors in positive thinking and ignores the negative, it becomes weak and it is only a sounding board just to say back to the people what they want to hear. Paul said to Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, they will heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. They will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside to fables. Unfortunately, I think this is much of what the modern pulpit is today. This is the reason it has become extremely weak, has no message for this hour in which we live. Now McGee was saying this 30 years ago, and look how much we've seen it change in just the last couple years, and it's getting worse (laughs) and more watered down as time goes on. When the pulpit can give out God's word as Jeremiah did with nothing being held back. And that's what he said there. I'm going to tell it all. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whatever the Lord says, that's what we're going to say. And he says, whenever, uh, like Jeremiah, holding nothing back, letting it say what God means for it to say, then the word of God will become effective again in our day. And let me just stop and say that the trend is to um, appease to the masses at the sake of just allowing truth to speak for itself. And what Jeremiah here from the beginning, he's always in the minority. None of the people want to hear what he has to say, except, isn't it interesting when people go through really difficult times and they're back is against the wall, or they're down and the only place they can look is up. Then they want to hear what God has to say. And uh, prayer is the last resource. Well, here, in verses one through six, I think it's pretty clear that they just said, 
We give up. Whatever God says, we're going to do it. All right, let's pick it up from there. And 7 to 22, let's see if that happens. And it happened. So 10 days go, goes by that the word of the Lord finally came to Jeremiah. Then they called Johanan and all the captains of the forces which were with him and all the people from the least even to the greatest. And they said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. And here's what the Lord said. If you will still abide in the land, then I will build you and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I brought upon you. Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. That's why they want to go back to Egypt. They're going to think that there was going to be a misunderstanding and he's going to come down and take them out. Don't be afraid. That's not going to happen. Says the Lord, for I'm with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. I will show you mercy, that he will have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you say we will not dwell in the land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for for bread, and there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you wholly set your face to enter Egypt and to go and sojourn there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared will overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine which you are afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you will die. And so shall it be with all the men who set their face to go to Egypt to sojourn there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape the disaster that I will build, bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt, and you shall be at uh, a, there shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. The Lord said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. You guys see the explanation point at the end of that sentence? Do not go back to Egypt. Know certainly that I've uh, admonished you this day. For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God. Now they're busted. They're talking to a prophet of God. And um, um, he's calling them out on it right here. Pray for us to the Lord our God according to all that the Lord your God says. And declare it to us and we'll do it. And I have this day declared it to you. But you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Now therefore know know certainly that you will die by the sword of the famine and by the pestilence, the place where you desire to go to sojourn. It's like praying, Lord, if you just do this, then we'll do that. And um, the Lord doesn't do it, and you take off and and do your your own thing. 
if if I would have this text because the conference, got to pray for the conference this week. We'll have people coming literally from all over the world. We'll be live streaming this thing from from all over the world. And we're living in, we've entitled it, The Times of the Signs. And one of the, the biggest signs of the, the times is what we call the falling away. And people actually going back to their old ways. And we find in Thessalonians, that's one of the things that is predicted. We just heard from McGee in 2 Timothy 3, 4, that people will gravitate to messages that are comforting and enduring. Uh, there will be a getting away from Bible prophecy that warns us that we're in this very unique period of time um, where we see our country at a major crossroads, major elections taking place this year. And because um, we have Elijah Abraham and Chris Quintana doing Sunday morning, that's not too bad back-to-back, back, huh? So I'm looking forward to that, but it frees me up. But if I would be doing a message this Sunday, I would um, call it, so you want to go back to Egypt, which for you old-timers would remember Keith Green and his title album, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. This is the first time after being brought into the land, dwelling in the land for all these years, and now, becoming like the people of the land, God bringing judgment on them, where's the first place they think about going? They're going to want to go back. Now, the application for that is this. That is, when you came out of Egypt, the blood was applied, and death passed over you. You were baptized. You went through the Red Sea. You've been walking by faith your whole life. You've been brought into the promises of God. You've experienced all of his goodness and his mercy. You've gone through good times and bad times. But the Lord's warning in these times is what he said in Matthew 24 when he said, remember Lot's wife and don't look back and don't turn back because there's nothing there but death. What did she do? She looked back. What happened to her? She died. Just like the Lord said. You know, and the, and the point is simply this. What's there to go back to? You tell me. What is there to go back to that we left behind? Did you find satisfaction in anything? No. I mean, to this day when they have, we were celebrating Labor Day, but um, whenever they have Memorial Day, they have the top 100 hits of the 60s. And almost without exception, every year when they get to number one, what song is it? It's by the Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. I can't get it because it's not there. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Why? So they um, uh, wouldn't have to fear being hungry again. And the Lord said, if you think you're going to be satisfied going back to Egypt, the very thing you fear is going to come upon you. So, I'm a little jealous. I don't get to do my Sunday morning message, so I'm taking it out a little bit tonight so you get a little bit of what I would have been saying on Sunday morning, and that would have been the application. There's nothing there. There's nothing to go back to. We're told, Paul said, forgetting those things, forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward 
to that calling, to that high mark that's in Christ Jesus. And that's the only hope. Um, was it easy? No. Two guys that the Lord is going to brag on here tonight. Last one is 45. It's a special message to Baruch. He was a good buddy of Jeremiah's. But here in verses 40, 41, and 42, we have um, them being forced to come to Jeremiah and say, we'll do whatever the Lord wants. But he knows that it's a hypocritical prayer request. Now, as we pick it up in 43, 43 and 44, we've now come to the sixth and the last section of prophecy of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, This contains prophecies during Jeremiah's last days in, in Egypt, and it extends from chapter 43 to 51. Well, I just gave it away, didn't I? Where do they go back to? Egypt. And they force Jeremiah and um, his uh, buddy Baruch to go along with them. So now, the ministry to the remnant in Egypt. So picking it up, let's read the first um, three verses here. Now, when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people, the words of the Lord their God, from which the Lord their God had sent them all the words, that Azariah uh, and all the proud men, these are the men that are mentioned, saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. The Lord your God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to sojourn there. But Baruch, now this would be one of Jeremiah's friends, has sent you against us to deliver us into the hands of the Babylonians that they might put us to death and carry us away captive to Babylon. They had no intention. They wanted Jeremiah to somehow comfort them by saying, yeah, you better, you better uh, take off for Egypt. They didn't get what they wanted. And as a result, now they start blaming it on Baruch. So, Johanan and all the captains of the forces And all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah. In other words, the one that came from the Ammonites and the surrounding areas. From all nations where they had been driven, the men, the women, the children, the king's daughters, every person who Nebuzaradan the captain of the guard had left with Gedaliah. Remember, Gedaliah is the one that was killed. Um, and Jeremiah, the prophet, and Baruch, and the son of Neriah. And so they went to the land of Egypt. For they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as Tephanes. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Tephanes, saying, I want you to take large stones, Jeremiah, in your hand. I want you to hide them in a cave of the men of Judah, in the clay in the brick courtyard, which is by the entrance of Pharaoh's house, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, notice this, my servant, and I will set his throne on these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal 
pavilion over them. And when he comes, he's going to strike the land of Egypt and deliver to death those appointed to death and to captivity those appointed for captivity and to the sword those appointed for the sword. And I'm going to kindle a fire in the house of the gods of Egypt and he will burn them and carry them away captive and he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on his garment and he shall go out from there in peace. But um, he shall also break the sacred pillars of Bet Shemesh that are in the land of Egypt and the house of the gods of the Egyptians he will burn with fire. Now we get this message. All right, you want to go back? Then hear the word of the Lord. And again, as we see often in the book of Jeremiah, he uses illustrations to make the point. So this illustration is Jeremiah, just take a bunch of stones and put them by the entrance of Pharaoh and then tell the people all the things that you were afraid of, all the things that you were concerned about, now they're going to happen to you. Because the very one you're fearing is going to come down here, he's going to take control, and it's all going to come crashing down upon you. Now, the remnant that are in this, this is a continuing 43 and 44 should flow together. There's no real chapter break here. Chapter 44 records the absolute refusal of the remnant in Egypt to obey God. And again, God patiently explains that he's the one responsible for the invasion and the desolation of Judah. And um, again, they're simply wanting to do their, their own thing when the Lord has already said no. Um, judgment is imminent, it is needed, and it's going to happen. And I'm the one who's bringing this on and it's not gonna be stopped. So let's pick up 44, and I'm gonna read some of it, but I'm gonna really sum it up in verses 16 and 17. Let's just get a good start here. Because it's a continuing thought. They're in this rebellion mode. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt who dwell at Magdal. Um, at, at uh, nope, nope. And the country of Pathos says, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. You have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and on all the cities of Judah and behold, this day, they are a desolation. No one dwells in them. It was because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, and that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods, whom they did not know, nor their fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination, this thing that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear from their wickedness to burn incense to other gods. So the Lord is going back and he's reminding them that they were committing idolatry, worshiping other gods, and that was the reason for the judgment. My fury, verse six, my anger, uh, was poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. 
and they are wasted and desolate as it is this day. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you men and women, child and infant, out of Judah, leaving none to remain? Now, if I would liken this to um, prophecy today and current events, there isn't a day that goes by that we don't see a stronger alliance between what Ezekiel 38 clearly says is going to happen, and that is um, more treaties being signed between Iraq and uh, Putin and Russia, um, setting the stage for what we call the Great Tribulation. Now, who likes to hear Bible studies about this verse in chapter... 4 verse 16 where it says that this is the wrath of the Lamb and uh, when Jesus opens the first seal in Revelation 6 we have a picture of the Antichrist and it says he went out to conquer and to conquer and to make war and um, we have the beginning of this seven year period of time that Jesus said there's never been anything like it before there'll never be anything like it again and nothing's going to stop it from happening It's past tense as far as the Lord is concerned. It's going to happen. Now, you can put your head in your sand if you want to. And you can say, I I don't believe that. I believe God wants his very best for me to be happy (laughs) and healthy and prosperous. That's pretty popular. Wouldn't you agree? Problem is, it's just not true. But here's the thing. At the same time where we see people wanting those comfort zone feelings, there's also people that are really dissatisfied with their contentment with trying to find it in this world. And there are really people out there that are really looking for truth. They know something's coming down. They just don't know what it is. And as we have these conferences trying to equip people with some of the best Bible teachers in the whole wide world of what's really happening. And if we can equip them, there are those people that want to know the truth, no matter what it costs. It's like if these guys in verse 42 weren't being hypocritical. And they really meant it when they said, whatever God's word says, we're going to believe it. Now, I believe that there are people like that. And um, people are saying, no, 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 we've got to adjust our mentality, and the way we do things because of of the millennials. We'll lose them all unless we become more like them. I don't agree with that. I say that in that group of millennials, there's gonna be those who want to know the truth. Now, the reason I know this is true, I grew up in the 60s, and I lived in that culture that says if it feels good, then just do it. And whatever you wanna do, just do. And you can try it, but again, you won't find the satisfaction that was there. And the Lord, you know, did use the Calvary Chapel movement in a small way. We're just a small slice of the piece of the pie that the Lord did in saving a whole generation. Because there really was, and are today, uh, we might have been the 60s culture, but there were those in the 60s culture that really wanted to know truth, And when we heard it and saw it, we knew it. 
And I believe it's the same with any group. People are people, whether the millennials or the X generation or the 60s generation. There's always those um, that really want to know the truth. Good place for an amen. And when they hear it and they see it, they'll know it. And they will say, I don't want any label being called a millennium. If it's true, it's true. Like, like Chuck always says, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord, I change not. And that brings about stability of heart, mind, soul, and it brings more than anything else, satisfaction. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are thirsty, and I'll satisfy you, because I'm the bread of life. If you're thirsty, come and drink of me, and, and out of the innermost parts of your being will be rivers of flowing water that'll just gush out. And you'll actually be able to overflow into other people's lives who are hungry and are looking for truth. But you gotta be plugged into the source. Another good place for an amen. Uh, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Zip, nada, nothing. But with me, you can do all things. So Jesus said, make sure, John 15, just abide in me. Continue just doing your day-by-day thing. And as you're walking with the Lord and talking to the Lord, He's gonna run you into those people that are looking for the truth. And I can't help but think of the Ethiopian going all the way to Jerusalem. What did you do there? He wanted to worship God. Still looking, coming back. Well, God created the divine appointment to have Philip come up. Hey, you understand what you're reading? I don't have a clue, unless somebody teaches me. Or he just happened to be reading Isaiah 53. And Philip just happened to pick up, he goes, well, let me tell you about Isaiah 53. That's all about Jesus, you see. He was like a a lamb taken to the slaughter, yet he didn't open his mouth. And the guy gets saved, gets baptized. And he goes back as the second most powerful man in Ethiopia. Don't you think he witnessed about his baptism the rest of his life? Absolutely. So I don't don't buy into, we gotta adjust to the culture. Um, McGee is nailing it right on the head. Truth is truth. And if you just stand up and proclaim it and don't water it down, um, it'll speak for itself. All right, where do we leave off? In chapter what? (laughs) We're in 44. We got through the first uh, six verses here. Verse 7 says, Now he's saying, Why do you commit this great evil? And you provoked me to wrath. That's where I got sidetracked because I took off from there and and what lies ahead is, is what Jesus called the beginning of sorrows. So we're entering into a period of time where the Lord said the days will wax worse and worse. Can you handle that? If that's what the Lord says, I can handle that. And, um, but the good news is that he has his plans and purpose worked out for his bride He's not going to take his bride on a honeymoon to the Great Tribulation. Not a very nice place for a honeymoon at all. He's got other plans. And he says, therefore, comfort one another, right, with these words. And let's pick it up, verse 9. Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, their own wickedness, the wickedness of their wives, which they committed in the land of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not been humbled 
to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I will set my face against you for catastrophe and for cutting off all Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their face to go into the land of Egypt to sojourn there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and the famine. They will die from the least to the greatest, the sword and the famine. They shall be an oath and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach explanation point. For I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, so that none of the remnant and by of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to sojourn there will escape or survive, lest they return to the land of Judah uh, to which they desire to return and dwell, for none shall re- return except those who escape. Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods with all the women who stood by a great multitude and all the people who dwelt in the land in Egypt answered Jeremiah. Now, I like this. He says, As for the word which you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. And they just put it right out. But we will certainly do whatever has come out of our own mouth. In other words, we're going to do our own thing. It would be a way we would say it today. Uh, To burn incense, notice, to the queen of heaven. Know that there's been a queen of heaven from the Egyptians to the Babylonians. And today it's in Roman Catholicism. The queen of heaven today is none other than Queen um, uh, then Mary and uh, we're really hyping her up right now because uh, we've actually the Pope or somebody has actually declared someplace in Wisconsin an original site that's bona fide merified merified is that a word we just made it one <laughs> and it's a holy place and uh, what is it it's no different than what they were Worshiping the queen of, of uh, heaven. Uh, for those of you who like to go deeper at times like this, let, let me recommend Hislop's book. It's called The Tale of Two Babylons. And it has to do with the Babylonian Empire and how they worshiped the queen of heaven. And it ties directly into Roman Catholicism and um, the worship of Mary. The last, I always like to quote the last words of Mary. The last words of Mary are these. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Those are the very last words of Mary. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. It's in John chapter two. So I think you get the feel for this. If you go down to verse 25, that it's just repetition of them in their rebellion. Verse 25 says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You and your wives have spoken with your mouth and fulfilled with your hands, saying we will surely perform our vows that we have made to burn incense to the queen of heaven. 
pour out our drink offerings to her, you will surely fulfill your vows and perform your vows. When you're told to go and say ten Hail Marys, what is that? That's Mary worship. And it's a part of uh, Roman Catholicism that's worshiping the Queen of Heaven only in our times. Now the Lord sums it up. Let's go to verse 20. He says, Behold, I watched over them for adversary and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by, by the sword and famine until there's an end to them. Yet, a small number who escape the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah. And all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to sojourn there shall know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. There's a whole Bible study right there. If your philosophy, if your belief, whatever it is, if it's contrary to what Jesus called the narrow way, and few be there find it, if you have any other way that you believe in, it's gonna come down to exactly what the Lord says right there. It's gonna be mine, word is gonna be true, or your word is gonna be true. And then he says to them, I will punish you in the place that you may know my words will surely stand against you for adversity. And thus says the Lord, behold, I will give Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hands of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, the king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his enemy who sought his life. These chapters, 40, 41, 42, 43, and 44 can all be summed up with this. There's nothing left now but judgment. They said they wanted to hear the word of the Lord, but not really. They wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. And when it came to um, not accepting the word of the Lord, they come right out and say so. We're going to do what we want to do. And we're not going to listen to you. Verse 16, we will not listen to you. Now, just to prove that I can get through five chapters, I personally tackled 45 because it's five verses long. And I wanted to be able to say that I cracked out five verses at least once on a Wednesday evening. Complete change of thought. And um, what we have here is not in a chronological order. You see this Baruch was a friend who acted as a sort of an assistant to Jeremiah. He was the guy who wrote the words of Jeremiah on the scroll, which was sent to King uh, Jehoiakim. Remember the guy who cut up the scroll and threw it into the fire? Well, this was the guy who, Jeremiah was in prison. Well, this is the guy that was his friend that delivered the letter. When Jeremiah was in prison and brought, he bought the property at Adathoth. And uh, Baruch carried out the transaction for him. He had the paper signed, carried them through with all the necessary work for the purchase of the land. That was back in chapter 32. And finally, Baruch was taken down into Egypt with Jeremiah, according to chapter 43, verse 6. The prophecy here to Baruch 
which we have here in chapter 45, was actually giving during the time of King Jehoiakim. So now we're going backwards. Uh, This is the reason we said at the beginning of the book that although there's um, a certain assemblance of chronological order in the book of Jeremiah, it is not arranged um, in, in in, in that sort of a pattern. Although the prophecy was given back during the reign of Jehoiakim, the prophecy was given to Baruch while he was still a young man God told him that he could expect to arrive. Oh, let me say that. God told him that he couldn't expect to arrive at some high goal for himself at this tragic time in the history of the nation. And here's where, as we begin to close tonight, I want you guys to connect the dots. That we are living in a time where the Lord is just looking for us to stay the course, be faithful. And uh, even though, like in Jeremiah's time, things weren't pleasant, things were not easy, and they were hard, and they were just two of them, and they were in a minority. He would live through very troubled times, but he would come through it with his life because God would preserve him. And now Jeremiah and Baruch, his friend and associate, now they're old men in Egypt. They have seen how God did preserve them through the troubled times in which they live. You know, poor Jeremiah, unpopular prophet. They called him the weeping prophet. Unpopular message. But when all is said and done, you know what? He was faithful. And he proclaimed exactly what God wanted him to say. And he says, you guys want me to pray for you, huh? Okay, but I'm only going to tell you what the Lord tells me. I'm not going to add anything to it, and I'm not going to take anything away from it. And you know what? I don't want it any other way. Another good place for an amen. Because there's a lot of other other ways out there today except doing what we're doing tonight and cracking out five chapters in Jeremiah. Five verses. A message to Baruch. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah. When he had written these words in a book, at the instruction of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. Josiah was the last good king in Judah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch, you said, woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. Thus she will say to him, thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built, I will break down. What I have planted, I will pluck up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Interesting. Everything's going to hit the fan, and uh, he's encouraging, don't, don't do that, because you're going to live in some hard, difficult times. I'm sure glad the Bible talks like this, because this, to me, this, this is just reality. As we see the world, I look at the elections coming up, and I go, oh no, I can't vote, I'm gonna be in Israel, and I'm going through this big trial, not really. (laughs) And he says, do not seek great things for yourself, do not seek them, for behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord, but, you know what, for you, I'm gonna give your life to you as a prize, all places, 
wherever you go. Just a shot in the arm for this guy who's doing his best, who's being taken as an old man by force. He doesn't want to go to Egypt. He wants to obey the word of the Lord. Now, we don't know, but what has been passed down through history through different writers is that Jeremiah was actually killed by the people he was ministering to when he was in Egypt and he never made it back um, from there. And we'll get into that as we get into the rest of the book. Actually, we're getting pretty close to winding things up. We'll be able to finish the book of Jeremiah in the next two Wednesdays. Let's stand and close the word of prayer. Lord, we thank you tonight as we see people's natures don't change. But we thank you, Lord, that you change not. Lord, help us be more like Jeremiah when it comes to absolutely not accepting compromise in any way, shape, or form. That your word that you've given to us, we won't add to it or we won't take away from it. And we thank you for that because we know when all is said and done, you're right and we're wrong as we're learning here tonight. So Lord, I pray for those here and pray for those watching live stream that just as you saw the need to encourage this man, Baruch, who was living in a generation where it just seemed to be getting worse every single day, but you left him with this promise that you're gonna give him life and a prize. It reminds me of the promises you made to the church, churches in Revelation, that if they would overcome that you've prepared special gifts and promises to them. So Lord, we ask this evening as we go our way that we would just stay the course, that we would be men and women who believe that the book we hold on our lap is inerrant, that you've spoken about things yet future to come. And when all is said and done, just as Jeremiah said, Jerusalem would fall. And um, he preached it for 30 years. So we can... Have confidence, Lord, that you will be true to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.